Section 19 of Europe and Elsewhere by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 17 The United States of Lyncherdom, 1901. Note Mark Twain always felt strongly on the subject of lynch law, and when in 1901 a particularly barbarous incident occurred in his native state, he was moved to express himself in print. The article was not offered for publication, perhaps because the moment of timeliness had passed. Its general timeliness, however, is perennial, and a word from America's foremost private citizen on the subject is worthy of preservation. A.B.P. 1. And so Missouri has fallen, that great state. Certain of her children have joined the lynchers, and the smirch is upon the rest of us. That handful of children have given us a character and labeled us with a name, and to the dwellers in the four quarters of the earth we are lynchers, now and ever shall be. For the world will not stop and think, it never does, it is not its way. Its way is to generalize from a single sample. It will not say, those Missourians have been busy eighty years in building an honorable good name for themselves. These hundred lynchers down in the corner of the state are not real Missourians. They are renegades. No, that truth will not enter its mind. It will generalize from the one or two misleading samples and say, Missourians are lynchers. It has no reflection, no logic, no sense of proportion. With it, figures go for nothing. To it, figures reveal nothing. It cannot reason upon them rationally. It would say, for instance, that China is being swiftly and surely Christianized, since nine Chinese Christians are being made every day, and it would fail with him to notice that the fact that thirty-three thousand pagans are born there every day damages the argument. It would say, there are a hundred lynchers there, therefore the Missourians are lynchers. The considerable fact that there are two and a half million Missourians who are not lynchers would not affect their verdict. 2. Oh, Missouri! The tragedy occurred near Pierce City, down in the southwestern corner of the state. On a Sunday afternoon, a young white woman who had started alone from church was found murdered. For there are churches there. In my time, religion was more general, more pervasive in the South than it was in the North, and more virile and earnest, too, I think. I have some reason to believe that this is still the case.
the young woman was found murdered. Although it was a region of churches and schools, the people rose, lynched three Negroes, two of them very aged ones, burned out five Negro households, and drove thirty Negro families into the woods. I do not dwell upon the provocation which moved the people to these crimes, for that has nothing to do with the matter. The only question is, does the assassin take the law into his own hands? It is very simple and very just. If the assassin be proved to have usurped the law's prerogative in righting his wrongs, that ends the matter. A thousand provocations are no defense. The Pierce City people had bitter provocation. Indeed, as revealed by certain of the particulars, the bitterest of all provocations. But no matter. They took the law into their own hands when, by the terms of their statutes, their victim would certainly hang if the law had been allowed to take its course, for there are but few Negroes in that region, and they are without authority and without influence in overawing juries. Why has lynching, with various barbaric accompaniments, become a favorite regulator in cases of the usual crime in several parts of the country? Is it because men think a lurid and terrible punishment a more forcible object lesson and a more effective deterrent than a sober and colorless hanging done privately in a jail would be? Surely sane men do not think that. Even the average child should know better. It should know that any strange and much-talked-of event is always followed by imitations, the world being so well supplied with excitable people who only need a little stirring up to make them lose what is left of their heads and do mad things which they would not have thought of ordinarily. It should know that if a man jump off Brooklyn Bridge, another will imitate him, that if a person venture down Niagara Whirlpool in a barrel, another will imitate him, that if a Jack the Ripper make notoriety by slaughtering women in dark alleys, he will be imitated, that if a man attempt a king's life and the newspapers carry the noise of it around the globe, regicides will crop up all around. The child should know that one much-talked-of outrage and murder committed by a negro will upset the disturbed intellects of several other negroes and produce a series of the very tragedies 
the community would so strenuously wish to prevent that each of these crimes will produce another series and year by year steadily increase the tale of these disasters instead of diminishing it that in a word the lynchers are themselves the worst enemies of their women the child should also know that by a law of our make communities as well as individuals are imitators and that a much talked of lynching will infallibly produce other lynchings here and there and yonder and that in time these will breed a mania a fashion a fashion which will spread wide and wider year by year covering state after state as with an advancing disease lynching has reached colorado it has reached california it has reached indiana and now missouri i may live to see a negro burned in union square new york with fifty thousand people present and not a sheriff visible not a governor not a constable not a colonel not a clergyman not a law and order representative of any sort increase in lynching in nineteen hundred there were eight more cases than in eighteen ninety nine and probably this year there will be more than there were last year the year is little more than half gone and yet there are eighty-eight cases as compared with one hundred and fifteen for all of last year the four southern states alabama georgia louisiana and mississippi are the worst offenders last year there were eight cases in alabama sixteen in georgia twenty in louisiana and twenty in mississippi over one-half the total this year to date there have been nine in alabama twelve in georgia eleven in louisiana and thirteen in mississippi again more than one-half the total number in the whole united states chicago tribune it must be that the increase comes of the inborn human instinct to imitate that and man's commonest weakness his aversion to being unpleasantly conspicuous pointed at shunned as being on the unpopular side its other name is moral cowardice and is the commanding feature of the make-up of nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine men in the ten thousand i am not offering this as a discovery privately the dullest of us knows it to be true history will not allow us to forget or ignore this supreme trait of our character it persistently and sardonically reminds us that from the beginning of the world no revolt against a public infamy or oppression has ever been begun but by the one daring man in the ten thousand the rest timidly waiting and slowly and reluctantly joining under the influence of that man and his fellows 
from the other ten thousands. The abolitionists, remember? Privately, the public feeling was with them early, but each man was afraid to speak out until he got some hint that his neighbor was privately feeling as he privately felt himself. Then the boom followed. It always does. It will occur in New York some day, and even in Pennsylvania. It has been supposed and said that the people at a lynching enjoy the spectacle and are glad of a chance to see it. It cannot be true. All experiences against it. The people in the South are made like the people in the North, the vast majority of whom are right-hearted and compassionate and would be cruelly pained by such a spectacle and would attend it and let on to be pleased with it if the public approval seemed to require it. We are made like that, and we cannot help it. The other animals are not so, but we cannot help that either. They lack the moral sense. We have no way of trading ours off for a nickel or some other thing above its value. The moral sense teaches us what is right and how to avoid it when unpopular. It is thought, as I have said, that a lynching crowd enjoys a lynching. It certainly is not true. It is impossible of belief. It is freely asserted, you have seen it in print many times of late, that the lynching impulse has been misinterpreted, that it is not the outcome of a spirit of revenge, but of a mere atrocious hunger to look upon human suffering. If that were so, the crowds that saw the Windsor Hotel burn down would have enjoyed the horrors that fell under their eyes. Did they? No one will think that of them. No one will make that charge. Many risked their lives to save the men and women who were in peril. Why did they do that? Because none would disapprove. There was no restraint. They could follow their natural impulse. Why does a crowd of the same kind of people in Texas, Colorado, Indiana, stand by, smitten to the heart and miserable, and by ostentatious outward signs pretend to enjoy a lynching? Why does it lift no hand or voice in protest? Only because it would be unpopular to do it, I think. Each man is afraid of his neighbor's disapproval, a thing which, to the general run of the race, is more dreaded than wounds and death. When there is to be a lynching, the people hitch up and come miles to see it, bringing their wives and children. Really, to see it? No, they come only because 
they are afraid to stay at home, lest it be noticed and offensively commented upon. We may believe this, for we all know how we feel about such spectacles, also how we would act under the like pressure. We are not any better nor any braver than anybody else, and we must not try to creep out of it. A Savonarola can quell and scatter a mob of lynchers with a mere glance of his eye. So can a Merrill, note one, sheriff of Carroll County, Georgia, or a Belote, note two, sheriff Princeton, Indiana, by that formidable power which lies in an established reputation for cold pluck, they faced lynching mobs and securely held the field against them. For no mob has any stand in the presence of a man known to be splendidly brave. Besides, a lynching mob would like to be scattered, for of a certainty there are never ten men in it who would not prefer to be somewhere else, and would be if they but had the courage to go. When I was a boy I saw a brave gentleman deride and insult a mob and drive it away, and afterward in Nevada I saw a noted desperado make two hundred men sit still, with the house burning under them, until he gave them permission to retire. A plucky man can rob a whole passenger train by himself, and the half of a brave man can hold up a stagecoach and strip its occupants. Then, perhaps, the remedy for lynchings comes to this. Station a brave man in each affected community to encourage support and bring to light the deep disapproval of lynching hidden in the secret places of its heart, for it is there beyond question. Then those communities will find something better to imitate. Of course, being human, they must imitate something. Where shall these brave men be found? That is indeed a difficulty. There are not three hundred of them in the earth. If merely physically brave men would do, then it were easy. They could be furnished by the cargo. When Hobson called for seven volunteers to go with him to what promised to be certain death, four thousand men responded, the whole fleet, in fact, because all the world would approve. They knew that. But if Hobson's project had been charged with the scoffs and jeers of the friends and associates whose good opinion and approval the sailors valued, he could not have gotten his seven. No, upon reflection the scheme will not work. There are not enough morally brave men in stock. We are out of moral courage material. We are in a condition of profound poverty. 
we have those two sheriffs down south who uh, but never mind it is not enough to go around they have to stay and take care of their own communities but if we only could have three or four more sheriffs of that great breed would it help i think so for we are all imitators other brave sheriffs would follow to be a dauntless sheriff would come to be recognized as the correct and only thing and the dreaded disapproval would fall to the share of the other kind courage in this office would become custom the absence of it a dishonor just as courage presently replaces the timidity of the new soldier then the mobs and the lynchings would disappear and however it can never be done without some starters and where are we to get the starters advertise very well then let us advertise in the meantime there is another plan let us import american missionaries from china and send them into the lynching field with one thousand five hundred and eleven of them out there converting two chinamen apiece per annum against an uphill birth-rate of thirty-three thousand pagans per day note one these figures are not fanciful all of them are genuine and authentic they are from official missionary records in china see dr morrison's book on his pedestrian journey across china he quotes them and gives his authorities for several years he has been the london times representative in peking and was there through the siege it will take upward of a million years to make the conversions balance the output and bring the christianizing of the country in sight to the naked eye therefore if we can offer our missionaries as rich a field at home at lighter expense and quite satisfactory in the matter of danger why shouldn't they find it fair and right to come back and give us a trial the chinese are universally conceded to be excellent people honest honorable industrious trustworthy kind-hearted and all that leave them alone they are plenty good enough just as they are and besides almost every convert runs a risk of catching our civilization we ought to be careful we ought to think twice before we encourage a risk like that for once civilized china can never be uncivilized again we have not been thinking of that very well we ought to think of it now our missionaries will find that we have a field for them and not only for the one thousand five hundred and eleven but for fifteen thousand and eleven let them look at the following telegram and see if they have anything in china 
that is more appetizing. It is from Texas. The negro was taken to a tree and swung in the air. Wood and fodder were piled beneath his body, and a hot fire was made. Then it was suggested that the man ought not to die too quickly, and he was let down to the ground, while a party went to Dexter, about two miles distant, to procure coal oil. This was thrown on the flames, and the work completed. We implore them to come back and help us in our need. Patriotism imposes this duty on them. Our country is worse off than China. They are our countrymen. Their motherland supplicates their aid in this her hour of deep distress. They are competent. Our people are not. They are used to scoffs, sneers, revelings, danger. Our people are not. They have the martyr spirit. Nothing but the martyr spirit can brave a lynching mob and cow it and scatter it. They can save this country. We beseech them to come home and do it. We ask them to read that telegram again, and yet again, and picture the scene in their minds, and soberly ponder it. Then multiply it by one hundred and fifteen, add eighty-eight, place the two hundred and three in a row, allowing six hundred feet of space for each human torch, so that there may be viewing room around it for five thousand Christian American men, women, and children, youths and maidens. Make it night for grim effect. Have the show in a gradually rising plain, and let the course of the stakes be uphill. The eye can then take in the whole time of twenty-four miles of blood-and-flesh bonfires unbroken, whereas if it occupied level ground the ends of the line would bend down and be hidden from view by the curvature of the earth. All being ready now, and the darkness opaque, the stillness impressive, for there should be no sound but the soft moaning of the night wind and the muffled sobbing of the sacrifices, let all the far stretch of kerosened pyres be touched off simultaneously, and the glare and the shrieks and the agonies burst heavenward to the throne. There are more than a million persons present, the light from the fires flushes into vague outline against the night, the spires of five thousand churches. O oh, kind missionary! O oh, compassionate missionary! Leave China! Come home and convert these Christians! I believe that if anything can stop this epidemic of bloody insanities, it is martial personalities that can face mobs without flinching, 
and as such personalities are developed only by familiarity with danger and by the training and seasoning which comes of resisting it the likeliest place to find them must be among the missionaries who have been under tuition in china during the past year or two we have abundance of work for them and for hundreds and thousands more and the field is daily growing and spreading shall we find them we can try in seventy-five million there must be other merrills and belotes and it is the law of our make that each example shall wake up drowsing chevaliers of the same great knighthood and bring them to the front end of chapter seventeen the united states of lynchardom read by john greenman